The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Hey, it is good to see everybody back here. We've got a good group back this evening, and I appreciate our afternoon. What is this afternoon? I appreciate that. I am excited myself because I just moved my marker from Jude to Mark. So for me, that's a transition to go from these books. Uh, you're probably terrified at this point of me teaching the book of Mark, and I guess that'd be for good reason, depending on your mindset and your attitude about that. Um, Anytime I teach a one-chapter book like I have Jude and Philemon and it takes 10 weeks, then I claim I'm going to do Mark and it takes that much longer, you, you would assume. Uh, but I'm hoping, and we'll mention more about this in a moment, I'm hoping we can keep up a pretty good pace on this book, kind of keep things moving a little bit. Uh, I don't for a moment believe that you can really bog yourself down in Scriptures too much, uh, but as far as the attention spans of Myself and some of you, I know that it helps if we keep a pretty good pace going, so we're going to attempt to do that. However, um, today we're going to allow this hour to, as I said this morning, to somewhat serve as an introduction to the introduction, okay, if that makes any sense. And I say that because we're going to kind of introduce what we're going to do today, how we're going to do it, how we're going to approach the book, and uh, kind of get a mindset for that, kind of set the table, if you will. And then on Lord willing, on week after, our singing on Wednesday nights when we more officially began the study, we're then going to introduce the book as far as putting some meat and potatoes on your plates and trying to get you some vegetables and things that you can partake of to make it a little bit easier. But um, I have already been excited when Cliff asked me about doing, uh, doing the Wednesday night class. Of course, I was thrilled to be able to have that opportunity. And he said, what do you think you might do? And uh, I don't know why I said it. I said Mark real quick. And then I think he knew me better. That's why he hesitated a few weeks ago and said, I don't know if that's what he's doing or not, because I do change my mind a lot. But I immediately, the moment I told him that, I started to kind of re-examine the book of Mark. I haven't taught through this book, this uh, gospel account, probably in close to 20 years. So it's been a while for me. And uh, I'll mention more about that later as well. But uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful more brief account than some of the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are your options, your choices there. And Mark is one of the more brief accounts of that. But it has been for me already, and I'm not completely through the book. I've read it through several times lately, but not completely through with studying. I won't be through ever for that, hopefully. But um, it's been already a profitable experience for me nonetheless. So we're going to be kind of answering in this introduction to the introduction. We're going to kind of be answering these questions as you see up behind me. Um, mainly one we're going to start with right now. Why study the gospel of Mark at all? I mean, we've got the other accounts, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, that can be studied and I'm sure have been studied from time to time. And so is there any difference between those gospel accounts? Well, the answer to that is yes, there are some differences. Are there some similarities? For sure there are. There are tons of similarities between them. Uh, that mainly comes down to the fact that the same God inspired all to be written. And so and it also comes down to the fact that each one of them, from one perspective or another, were focused on one main character, and that being Jesus. And so we're going to kind of go into that a little bit this afternoon, hopefully. Second to that, uh, how will we study the book? I want to share with you the approach that I'm going to be taking with it. I think that it would... 
be beneficial to all of us to kind of get on the same page with that and, and know what we're going to be looking for because there'll be at least three key areas to which we'll try to find, not just through the book, but in every chapter. And I'm going to divide the study into paragraphs. And so uh, there are 64 paragraphs in this uh, particular book, the way I see it. So we're going to look for each of these things, each of those paragraphs as well. So kind of every page, every paragraph we're going to see as we go through. We may cover two, three paragraphs at a time sometimes uh, to try to hurry the study along a little bit or uh, kind of keep it moving. But at the same time, there are tons of divisions in the book. We're going to mention what will be required of you as a student, and I'm pointing at me first, because if I'm not willing to do what I'm requesting of you, then we will be short falling in that. And then finally, the methods that we will use to introduce the book. Again, that official introduction will come, Lord willing, about a week and a half or two weeks from now, however you do the math on that. So as far as answering this first one here, you know, why study the Gospel of Mark? Uh, again, there are those four options that are available. Basically for me, I answer that from, from both perspectives. One, uh, why not study the book of Mark? Well, as I've been blessed to travel throughout the past, really, I've traveled almost full-time for about 10 years almost, probably about five years before that, but majority of my time preaching, I've been moving around, uh, visiting different congregations, holding meetings, whatever, that's been a blessing. But as I've traveled around, I have tried, and I pay attention when I get to a new place, particularly, you know, what do they have going on here? What do they have going on at this local congregation that may be something that I could take home or share with someone else that might be beneficial? And sometimes, and, and I'm telling a little secret here, sometimes I, I make some, some judgments about a congregation based on what they're doing, you know, when I get there. If I get time to spend with the elders or the preacher or just some of the members of the congregation, Maybe the night before a meeting, I'll ask a few questions that are pretty pointed. They don't realize it, but I'll say, you know, what are you studying right now? And, of course, if they tell me we're watching Andy Griffith on Sunday morning, I'm going to go in on Sunday morning and do a different thing. You know, I'm going to act a lot differently. Um, won't participate in that, but you know what I mean. Uh, but if they tell me, hey, we're in an in-depth study of, of uh, Daniel or Revelation or, or something like that, I know already, you know, what the preparation is going to be to get into that. If they tell me they're using a classroom book that they're studying, you know, Brother Winkler and several had put out some of those little 13-chapter books, and I, I know how to approach that. But what I'm getting at is in most cases, most cases, particularly if the congregation is younger or particularly if the congregation is, uh, has a new preacher, because believe it or not, uh, Cliff's 26 years here is tremendously, uh, almost amazing, because of the fact that the average for a preacher right now is three to five years. And I think that's on the high side for some of these guys. But three to five years in one place. Now, sometimes you'll find older preachers that will finally settle down somewhere, and that's, that's good. I you know, wish that that could happen earlier in life. Uh, but if you've got a, a preacher that's new to town, a lot of times, just a lot of times, and I don't know why this is, but... When they walk into town, they'll start on Sunday morning a Bible class from one of the Gospels. Typically, they'll choose for whatever reason, either Matthew or John. I think Matthew because it's the first one there. John because they are like I am. They enjoy that study and they enjoy teaching about the deity of Christ. Uh, man, God-man, man in the body, or God in the body. Uh, they enjoy that. And then you'll see them on Wednesday nights. Uh, generally, they'll jump into the book of Acts. And that's a good study. But what happens with a congregation when 
when they swap preachers every three to five years, is guess what they study all the time? They're very well versed in Matthew, and they're really good in Acts, which I think Acts, uh, for my disclaimer, uh, I think all of it, but Acts is one of those books that probably needs to be studied in a congregation every so often so that the, the younger ones can finally begin to feed off of it and some of the older ones will be reminded. I, I think that's very appropriate. But that's kind of what happens. But you'll find a lot of preachers preaching or teaching through Matthew because it's first. Maybe John is an alternate, but rarely... Rarely will I have I encountered a congregation that's studying the book of Mark, or Luke for that matter. Um, maybe that's because, if they have, it may be because they're studying through all the Gospels as a series, but a lot of times they won't study Mark or Luke. Luke, uh, most likely, from what I've asked and had people tell me, well, Luke's so long. I mean, you get chapters with 70 verses plus and all the detail that Luke gives, and Sometimes people feel as if they are getting bogged down in that, and so they'll be hesitant about touching Luke. I've actually had a couple of different preachers. Now, they worded it differently, but uh, in, in just mentioning the Gospels and, and talking about Mark, I had one tell me one time, well, you know, there's just not a lot there, just not a lot of meat on the bone there, and so I like to teach either Matthew or they'll choose John for that. When, you know, I understand that that. I don't understand that way of thinking. I understand where they're coming from to one point. It's 16 chapters. It's, it's brief. It's quick. It's fast-paced. But at the very same time, you know, if it's, if it's found between either one of these leather covers, it's, it's appropriate to study. And it needs to be studied at some point, whether that be a, a verse-by-verse a verse type study or preaching through or teaching through or hitting highlights and you know, for example, you can take the book of John. I'll use John for an example. And you can just study the miracles of John. You can spend a long time doing that. Uh, you can study just the sermons of Jesus. Or miracles of Jesus in John, I should have said. But you can study the sermons of Jesus and spend a long... You know, you can come back and, and hit that and incrementally get through it anyway. Sometimes it's just not studied. So I choose Mark because, one, I know what's hidden in Mark. I've read it through enough to know the little nuggets of truth and the gold that's placed in that. And I also read, for example, if you've got your Bibles open, I read the very first verse. <laughs> and we'll talk more in detail about this in the introduction, but it says right here, King James speak, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, that's how Mark opens up. Uh, Mark doesn't hesitate, he doesn't uh, beat around the bush, and he doesn't try to imply that, you know, he's just trying to share a few extra details, or, or he just says this is it. This is the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. Now again, I realize the way our Bibles are laid out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you want to be technical about it, and you put those books in a chronological order, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written around a similar time, John being written later. Uh, but the dating of that wouldn't have a lot of bearing if Mark said, this is the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. And so why not study it? Now, why is it needed? Well, I've kind of already touched on that. It's needed because it's just not studied enough. I believe it's needed because it does give us, and in my estimation, of course, all inspired of God. I'm not going into all the theories about how Mark was written first and the others just copied him and all that uh, stuff that you'll read and stacks of commentaries that are basically 
uh, wasting your time in that part of the discussion, but it is the case that they being all inspired that Mark does write in a brief way. And what you'll find is if you want to really get a good taste of who Jesus was, and particularly in two categories we'll mention later, it's very good to kind of get that brief, I, I, I don't want to use the term really, but it, it, we would understand it, cliff notes type of approach. You know, get that good overview, 16 chapters of the life of our Lord, and then turn and read some of those longer accounts. And again, particularly if you're looking at Matthew's or Luke's account in comparison, uh, they tend to take accounts, uh, don't misunderstand this word because it's not accurate really, but stories of Jesus and what Mark might say, might, might not even mention for one, or might say in one verse, they may have an entire chapter devoted to that. So I think you can expand by going to Mark and then in turn sometimes going to some of those others. So that's, that's what I believe about that nonetheless. Now, how will we study this book? How should I approach the book of Mark? If it is a little bit peculiar, if it is a little different, if it does have kind of a different, uh, I guess you'd say a different aroma to it than some of the other Gospels, uh, how am I going to approach it? Well, I would suggest, first of all, basically approaching it like you would any book that God has had to be written. Approaching it from the perspective of no matter who the legal, uh, by, you know, human penman might be, that it's still the words of God. It's still based on the accounts of the Son of God and His life. And then study it as if in some cases, you know, you hear those human authors like I often do with the epistles of Paul. I can, I can hear, I can feel him writing some of the words that he does because some of what he writes about contains his personal experience to something and his, his view of, of life because of how he chose to live it and such. But a lot of times just stepping back is better and just saying, look, put away who this is or why this is written or any of the other sort. Just ask yourself, what is God trying to communicate to us? Not what He communicated only to Paul or, or to, to Mark in his account or, or to any of the apostles in the gospel accounts. or What is it that He's communicating to us? So, so I would say here's the three things that we're going to be looking for every time. And I said just a moment ago, this will occur... Uh, over the entire book, hopefully, it'll occur per chapter and it'll even occur per paragraph. Number one, I think it's very appropriate that every time we get to <clears throat> excuse me, a new context, that we ask ourselves, what is the meaning of this text? What is the meaning of this text? Now, there's only one way, it's a very simple way, that you can get the meaning of the text, and that is to read the text. Just to open up and read it. You know, you can read a, a plenty of books, uh, probably more than we needed, really. You can read a ton of books written about the Gospel of Mark or written about any other book of the Bible. There are commentaries, there are dictionaries, there are other resources. They're all well and good in that, but there is not one thing that's ever going to go ahead or be, before reading the text itself. And so for a rule of thumb, I may have said this earlier in Bible class this morning, for a rule of thumb, if I'm going to study a, a smaller portion of text, I, I try to read it 50 times, you know, before I even begin. Spend a lot of time reading that and just letting that kind of soak up. But we're going to try to get to the meaning of the text. And the meaning of the text is going to involve asking questions like, what did God say? Why might He have said it? 
and to whom does it apply? That'll kind of be that section right there. And the second place, and this is of utmost importance, although these have to come in order, I believe, then you've got to talk about the man of the text. You know, in many of these New Testament epistles or letters, or these are the gospel accounts, and all of them, or many of them, there are going to be various characters you're going to encounter as you go through. There first might be the human penman that may mention themselves by name. Mark doesn't do that, but there are also going to be characters like Jesus is going to come across in this book, some that are sick of the palsy, some that are blind, some that are lame and other things. There'll be characters that are specifically named as in their names will be called and mentioned and they'll be completely stated as this is Peter, the son of, you know, Peter uh, Barjona or son of Jonah and, and different specifics will come out. But above all of those, who is the man of the text? For Matthew, for Mark, for Luke and for John, that's always comes down with only one answer, and that is Jesus. Jesus is a central uh, character, the, really the only character that we really ought to be trying to apply to ourselves, and, and He's the one that we're going to have to search for in every single chapter and section of this book. Um, back years ago, I was thinking about this the other day. It, I think it shows, uh, I don't know what it shows. I was thinking about the other day, uh, Cliff Cleveringer, Cliff Cleveringer. Chris Clevenger and I uh, had a podcast years ago, way back, and it was called Journey with Jesus. And what we attempted to do, now we got through like six episodes and quit, so we didn't make it very far. But we, what we intended to do with that is to show how that Jesus can be found and should be represented in every book of the Bible. And it's based on John 5 verse 39. Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he meets with these two uh, men there, and he says, uh, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they, talking about the scriptures, which testifies of me. And so, <coughs> I'll have my cough drops in the house. And so what, <clears throat> what Jesus was trying to communicate to them is the scriptures, which in his day and time referred to the Old Testament, primarily to the five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, I think I'm about to go, y'all. I know somebody got one because it's that season. I got Joe Tom waving at me. He's throwing at me. That's worse. Oh, me. Thank you. I saw other people digging, by the way, but thank you. He threw further and faster, I guess. That'll help a minute. Anyway, we've got to be looking for the man Jesus in this. And that podcast, uh, back to that, <clears throat> we're going to show that <coughs> in every book and every page of the Bible, Jesus is there. He's either represented in physical terms, such as he is in the Gospels, or he's represented in principal terms, such as he is in the Old Testament, or passive terms, such as he was in the Old Testament as well, but he is there. So we will look for that. But not only will we try to find meaning in the text, and of course that's going to require kind of a detailed study of it in the man, but thirdly, the message. I really do appreciate Cliff has been doing this for quite a while, um, but he's gotten to doing this more intentionally, I believe, than he has in the past. And that is Cliff will preach or he'll teach or we'll have our discussion classes on Sunday afternoon like we often do. And he'll go all the way through everything that he's prepared or everything that we've discussed. And then he'll come down to the very end and say, okay, let's, let's kind of see, let's, let's get some take-home points. I'm not sure where he gets that, but Brother Dan Winkler has 
phenomenal as such. I, I enjoy listening to Dan anytime I can, but he, he oftentimes does. He'll preach through a text completely and just exhaust it, you feel. <coughs> and then in the very end of that, Dan will say, now for our take-home point. And I'm not crying yet. I'm just choking to death. I got another hero coming up the back. Sorry. I'm not a fan of water in the pulpit, but I'm a fan of the Bible. So, <clears throat> At any rate, But he'll give that take-home point. And so I want to be sure that we do that. That yes, we study the, the Scripture in detail. That has to come first. Yes, we stop and say, who is the main character of this? What are they trying to accomplish? What is Jesus doing here? But then in turn, saying, what is this, what is this message for me? What can I learn from this? What should I leave this place knowing not only about the life of Jesus, but about the life that I should live? And so we'll try to get to that. Number next, what about this question? But what's required of a student? I would say that this, like any other thing in life, really comes down to the fact that whatever you put into something, you can get out of it. And uh, this is a verse that I put here on the slide, and I actually wrote it in my top margin up here to prepare for this study. And it's from 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. You may not can see it, but you're familiar with it. Uh, it says here, But I say unto you, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And of course, the opposite of that, he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Um, the more effort that we are willing as as students studying this together to put into this, I promise you the more I'll get out of it. It's a motivator. And, and I, I kind of want to, uh, I want to pat you on the back right quick. It's a motivator because in my travels, I do encounter different congregations from different places, from all over the Southeast, and, and that's been a blessing. But I know for a fact that there are places that if I chose to do it, and oftentimes it does happen there, often that's probably the problem. But if a preacher wanted to walk in a congregation and kind of have a, a, a poem and a thought and a closing remark, he could get by with that every week. And, and he could go in and, and just basically have just read a verse or two and kind of brought his ideas to it and walk out and everybody would be thrilled and that'd be fine with them. But I know ironically to be different than that. And uh, I, I think Cliff does the same. I, in fact, I can assume he does at least. If I get on the phone and invite anybody to come to Ironiton from the outside to speak, I don't have a problem telling them two things. Number one, you better have your ducks in a row before you get there. And number two, you had better be prepared because the students will be. And if you're teaching a your class, you're going to have people who are going to comment, who are going to participate, who are going to give feedback, and, and they're going to bring some thoughts to the table that you may not have thought of, no matter how hard you study. At the same time, they're going to ask some questions that you're going to have to be ready to answer, at least be ready to look them in the eye and say, I don't have any idea. I don't know. That's not the case everywhere. And so that's you to be commended for that because you do put time in, you do study. And so I want to, I put, I don't know what I put on here. I hope I, I didn't change it, I guess. But basically speaking, some things that will be kind of requested of you, might say required, depending on what level you want to be involved. Uh, 
But I would encourage at least all of us to at least read this book through one time during our study, just once. And if you're going to do six, then you do six. But one time, the whole book. And that doesn't have to be in one sitting. I'm dyslexic. Um, I'm probably ADHD. I'm, I'm all kind of other messed up stuff. So it's, it's very difficult for me. Uh, but but I, can get it, I can get it done. And so try to get through the book maybe one time during the course of this. And you'll, you'll have a while. This is not a, a two-week or three-week or six-week study. It'll take a little bit, but do that. Second, try to also read the current chapter. You know, so chapter one, obviously chapter two. Whatever chapter we're in the middle of during the study, try to read it through. Um, I know that you read your Bibles every day and you've probably got some regimen or some, some uh, already set pattern by which you do that. But if you can throw in a chapter from Mark and maybe particularly the chapter that we're in, that'd be great. And then if on the lesser level, and you might accomplish the first two, but if, if those don't aren't accomplished or at least you could add to it, I would encourage you to read the current paragraph or text. For example, chapter 1, Mark 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 make up one Greek paragraph. Now, they might probably in your translation make up one English paragraph. I, I don't have a Bible with me right now that has chapter headings in it, but sometimes you'll have chapter and, and paragraph headings, and you may see that. Sometimes there's a, a uh, <clears throat> they used to call it a drop cap, a big letter that leads a paragraph. Sometimes there'll be a little, looks like that mathematical pie symbol. Sometimes they'll mark that out. It may be the bold letter or uh, bold number of the first of, of a paragraph in a chapter. And, I'll try to share with you at least what I see to be each paragraph division. And Mark 1, 1 through 8 would be 1. So that'd be 8 verses to read. And I would encourage you to read that every day if possible during this. So that's, that's just some of the things. That's kind of the, the pattern to which we might require something ourselves. I'll add to that, if you want to be an advanced student, I'm going to be giving some key verses, some key phrases, and that sort of thing that if you wanted to kind of memorize or at least get the gist of, uh, my children all can have several verses memorized, the younger ones, and I can say Genesis 1-1, and, and they'll, they'll scream that. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. But if you can't do anything else, say Genesis 1-1 says God made it all. You know, summarize it. Get some of those main thoughts uh, down nonetheless. And then this one here, what methods will be used to introduce the book? How do I specifically enjoy or what tool do I use to introduce the book? Well, first of all, we're going to introduce it from these two perspectives. One is external evidence. This will be a week from, this will be Wednesday week. We want to give some external evidence. There's a lot of information that can be dug up if you take the time to do it um, in non-biblical books. These will be commentaries typically or geographical or cultural writings and such. And sometimes some of those older, um, older people from you know, you take Justin Martyr and some of those, they'll have some information that you can gather if you're willing to do it. And it'll give you some good information as to what was going on at the time. You know, what were these people experiencing? There's going to be some details in the first eight verses about John the Baptizer and particularly about him being in the wilderness. That to us, you know, okay, so John is a crazy man. He wandered off in the wilderness. Well, uh, that's probably not why he's in the wilderness. There was really a good reason for it. And culturally and historically, that meant something huge to the Gentile. 
This is a book written mainly to Gentiles. And it was huge to them. Because for them, and they had witnessed the Jews enduring this, every time the Jews went into the wilderness, what happened on the other side? Good things would actually come from that. You know, Jesus was taking the wilderness. That's where his ministry kicks off, right here. And Mark records that. Uh, the children of Israel went in the wilderness for that 40-year wandering. What happened? Ultimately, they received the promised land as a, as a backside result of such. And you can go on and on and on. Many of the prophets spend a lot of time in the wilderness. Those are just some of the things you learn externally. But I'm a huge proponent of the fact that the Bible will introduce itself. Those are wonderful tools and, and necessary. If you want to keep digging, they're great. But the Bible will introduce itself. In most cases, such as the epistles of Paul, uh, Paul, not writing this one here, but the epistle of Paul, the first three to eight verses introduce the book almost every time. In most cases, you'll learn a whole lot about the writing that you're about to embark on studying just by reading the first three to, five, three to eight verses of any, any New Testament book. This is very much the same. And I think here the number is precisely that of eight. Because this, these eight verses that make up this first chapter of Mark definitely tell us that. And so I think internal introductions are probably even, well, no, no argument there, they are the best. Because they get it directly from God. And we allow God's Word to become its own divine commentary. Uh, we do ourselves huge favors in that. And we find ourselves getting the full intention of what God desires from that. Now, the external stuff all can be bonuses, if you will, but the internal can be great. So there are things that you find out about that. I just dropped a few on here. You can, you can often learn about the person, that is, who's writing the book, who's the penman of this. Mark doesn't make a claim to that. You learn about the place in which the book, book was intended to be or to go, such as Paul's epistles. He'll almost always say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the church at blank, or to the brethren at blank, and he'll tell you that. You can learn quite a bit about the people, the characters of that book will be introduced. Paul will oftentimes say, you know, I'm Paul, along with Timotheus, or he'll name other people. Uh, Mark doesn't do quite all of that. And that it seems uh, that when you read through the book of Mark, what you kind of come away, I, I come away gathering, is that what Mark actually did was he followed Peter around an awful lot. You know, yes, he spent time with Paul. Yes, he went with Paul on earlier missionary journeys. And yes, he, this being John Mark, more than likely ducked and ran at some point and, and left that journey. But then he spent a lot of time, it seems, back in around the apostles, probably really focused on what Peter was doing. And we know how profitable Peter would end up being in backside of his shortcomings in the beginning. So that's just kind of the way we're going to approach that. Now, the only other thing I want to share with you, and we're going to go and have an invitation. I got through this fairly quickly, which I was kind of hoping to, but this is kind of a basic breakdown, a basic layout of what the Gospel of Mark is about. And uh, I will have, you know, I like to outline. <clears throat> I have much more detailed outlines that I'll share with you. Uh, some of them will be on screen, some will be on paper. Some of them I'll just tell you as we go through that I hope can be extra guides that you can use and you're reading through. And I would encourage you that as you begin to gather some of that stuff for yourself, if you're going to choose to read the chapter, read the book, read the, uh, the paragraph, whatever, outline that for yourself or, 
or make notes, jot things down in your margins or maybe get a notebook along with that and spend some time with that. But this is a basic overview of Mark. You know, each of the gospel accounts seemingly came to speak about Jesus, but speak about Jesus from various perspectives and to try to prove various things. For example, Matthew seems to kind of spend this whole time saying he's the king, he's the king. Uh, John comes through and says, hey, wait a minute, he's more than just Jesus the man, he's God in a body. He is, he is deity, is what John proves. And, and others, Luke does similar. And, but Mark, Mark seems to try to show Jesus in two, two ways. And you ask me this two weeks from now, I'll say, well, I found another way. Or I, I, don't, I, don't dis, I don't agree with that anymore. But seemingly about two ways. Number one, he speaks of Jesus from his service. He really wants to highlight the fact that Jesus came here to serve us. You remember the upper room account, John mentions this, other gospels as well, but Jesus the night before his crucifixion, he's in the upper room with his disciples. And what is it that Jesus began to do? Why well, he began to wash their feet. Why did he desire to do that? Well, he began to show them that I am, I am a servant to you as, as much as you are to me. That the greater is... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the master is not, I can't say it now. You know what I'm talking about, that. But he's not greater than his servants. He can put himself down there and get dirty with everybody else because he knows that much of life is about service. And of course, his greatest service being that he gave himself on the cross. And so if you look at it from Mark chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through chapter 2 and verse 12, that's a very short section. But that's what he talks about, his service. And he breaks it down. I've got a few things here, the presentation, the opposition, and the instruction, and some subheadings to that. But then you get into Mark 11. I put that wrong. See, that's supposed to be 12, 12. Mark 11. What am I doing? That's just messed up. That's all I did. Mark 11, verses 1 through 16, 20. So that half of the book there is all about his sacrifice all about the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we'll get down to a point, we'll mention it, just like many of the other Gospels do, you'll go through three-quarters, half the book, and you'll be covering a span of years, and then all at once, it all comes down to that week. Everything's summarized in that week. We, sometimes it's referred to as the week of the Passion, when Jesus is crucified. And Mark's going to do something very similar. And he's going to make that abrupt change in that as well. But the service of Jesus goes from Mark 1 to somewhere right there. I guess it would be chapter 10 in verse 12. And then Mark 11, 1 and 16 through 20. So that's kind of the subdividing of that. Now, what do we get anytime we learn about our Lord? What do you take away? What should I take away from learning about the life of our Lord. There's really one main thing. You say, well, I can learn about His will. I can learn about His Word. I can learn about His works. I can learn about His wonders. and, and oh, yeah, They're all there. But the main reason we learn about the life, the human, physical life of our Lord is so that we can appreciate His death. If I can appreciate how He lived and to whom He came to live for, then I can much better appreciate who He died for. And the answer to both those questions is me. 
it's on a much wider scale than that, but in a nutshell, Jesus came to earth and lived the life that He did and was willing to be sacrificed on a cross for me. And you say, well, that's selfish. No, because you should be pointing it at yourself. He died for us. Collectively, yes, but more than that, individually. And the thing that has always kind of, I don't know what to say it other than amazed me, but when you really think it through, Jesus came and lived and died for everyone since Adam up into us. And then the exact same way He came to live and die for everyone from us until eternity. However long that is. That means every single human being who would ever breathe breath on earth in their way and under their law had an opportunity to follow God. And we're blessed to be able to live under a time and an age where Jesus is the, the, the pinnacle of that where He stands at the very center of that and his, his life and death represents to us exactly how that was accomplished. And we have the beauty of hindsight. We have the beauty of foresight. We have the beauty of, uh, of anything that we want to see in Scripture to say, okay, there it is. That, that's what happened. That's what God thought. That's what God intended. That's what God meant. That's what God desires. That's really no other people before us had it in such an easy to, to partake of place but we do and so we'll find each of these in the gospel of mark when we get there but we're going to go through and you'll see the plan of salvation as we refer to it you'll find that developing and, and it continues to be offered whether you see it from any of the other perspectives or any of the gospel accounts the same is still the truth that we must hear the gospel itself and that gospel is all about jesus it's the good news to Eulangelion about our Lord and, and His willingness to come and die. It's the idea, as, as He proclaimed in several occasions, Jesus out of His own mouth proclaimed it. We've got to believe that. Don't just listen to something. Don't just audibly know that it take, took place or, or say, well, you know, I've got a Bible I know all about. You don't know this until you know this. Being willing to confess His name, there are going to be several throughout this book particularly this gospel, they're going to end up confessing the name of Jesus and having to say who He is and, and why He exists and be willing to be baptized. You know, one of the primary verses that we use concerning baptism that is so, so uh, pointed and so precise is actually recorded by Mark. From Mark 16 and 16 where Jesus said, not, not asking anybody else, but Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Pretty simple the way he put it. You know, very appropriate, but... And then he flipped that over and said, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Somebody said, well, he didn't say if you weren't baptized. Well, baptized in the name of who? For what purpose? For what reason? The invitation is open today, and uh, we've had two earlier this morning who wanted to make sure that their lives were right with God, and I stand beside them in the same place. I don't want to step before the throne of God at any point in eternity having sin remaining in my life. So I beg of His forgiveness. And we should all have that mind. Got an invitation song that's been chosen. We'll encourage one another while we stand and as we sing.